at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Episode 57 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I am your host for this evening, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I'm joined by Mr. E.J. Fagan. Good evening, Mr. Lanza. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Fagan? I am doing fantastic tonight. I, uh, it's, uh, it's a nice Tuesday night. I, I, I'm enjoying the, uh, the, ALC, the ALCS right now. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I think, I think I'm, a Cleve, I'm a Cleveland fan right now, today. Uh, I think in the same year, LeBron's going to bring the, the the championship back to Cleveland, and then you know uh, Lonnie Chisenhall is going to bring it home for you know for the for the second. I like that Lonnie Chisenhall is the one you went with there too. Yeah, you know I'm a I'm a Lonnie Chisenhall fan. You know he's he's an everyman. <laughs> uh, you know it, I mean besides Francisco Lindor, is there another? I mean I guess Andrew Miller is the next star of the team. I mean it's it's such a it's such a weird team because it looks terrible. Like especially with with Salazar and Carrasco out, like they should suck, but they don't. I mean, they kind of suck today, but you know that was to be expected. I I don't think anybody really expected them to sweep the Blue Jays, but no, I mean their offense is really uh, I mean their offense this year was pretty much Jason Kipnis, Francisco Lindor, Tyler Naquin coming out of nowhere, <laughs> and just who was hot when. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's as you know, I um. I, I think like everybody in the world, I'm hoping for a Cubs-Cleveland matchup. But I think in that matchup, I'm, I'm rooting Cleveland. I, I would definitely um, root for Cleveland, which is – I think it's weird for me because generally – I think we talked about this a little before. I tend to root for the underdog or the team that hasn't won it for the longest, which <laughs> oftentimes end up being one and the same. But here, you know, they're, they're polar opposites. The Cubs haven't won – since the last four states were added to the United States and the Indians are a very clear underdog. I mean, the Indians weren't supposed to make the playoffs and they weren't supposed to beat the Red Sox and they're not supposed to beat the Blue Jays. You can't really get much more underdoggy than that. Now the question is which team is less sympathetic, the Dodgers or the Toronto Blue Jays? I have a clear answer on this, by the way. I think the the, uh, Blue Jays are clearly less sympathetic because I mean – Full disclosure, there was a time when the Blue Jays were kind of like my second team, like my home away from home team, because I went to school in Buffalo. I lived there for seven years, and I went to a lot of Blue Jays games. There were a lot of Blue Jays fans up there. It was a fun environment, but that team, man, they just have such a sense of entitlement, and they just bitch and moan about everything. It's like there's some grand anti-Toronto conspiracy, and at least with the Dodgers, they have... I mean, Clayton Kershaw seems like a cool dude. They're a team that, despite their payroll, has kind of overachieved given all their injuries. And, you know, I like Dave Roberts as their manager. Yeah, I, I just I just want to keep replaying the, the gif of Jose Bautista getting punched in the face. Like that, that's a, that, to me, that, that's, that's the best part of this. I, you know, once he and Edwin Encarnacion presumably leave, um, you know, this season, I, I think that team is looking real bad. And uh, I don't know, maybe jo- maybe they're in the mood for trading Josh Donaldson. We'll see. Donaldson's a, isn't he a free agent with that class of 2018? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it, it was like Oakland traded away four years of him, I think. So it's yeah, he those- signed an extension for the this year and next season. Arbitration eligible after 2018, and then 2019 free agent. So yeah, Josh Donaldson is one of those players who is um, who's he's older than you think. He's like, 30. He'll be 31 in December because he got such a late start to his degree, career. That's kind of neither here nor there, but it's always it's always weird for me when I see somebody and their age just doesn't match what you think. Like I think of him as being a part of that great third base class we have with Machado and Arenado and you know, he's 8 years older than them. Yeah, yeah, I think Oakland traded him thinking like, okay, we got the best years. He's been pretty good. Let's you know, let's get rid of him while we can. And then he became you know an MVP guy. Um, 
you know, and he was good before in those seasons before, but he was really like a he was a defensive value guy. Yeah. Much more than anything. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's hitting 40 home runs. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's Toronto's uh, park plus their, their coach is kind of, I forgot the name of their hitting coach. I actually feel mildly bad about that, but he's kind of like the, the Kevin Long of right-handed hitters. Like Kevin <laughs> Long always, always helped lefties tap into their pull power and Toronto's coaching staff has done the same for righties hitting in the Sky Dome. Yeah. So, so it's a fun series. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think this is my favorite postseason that the Yankees haven't been involved in in a very long time. Maybe my favorite ever. Yeah, mine too. One one interesting thing, I don't know if anybody will care or even remember this player. The reason I started really thinking about players who are younger or older than I thought was because somebody uh, wrote something about, you know, Eraldis Chapman and players who throw hard, and um, they brought up Joel Zumaya, who used to be on the mm-hmm. Tigers. Yeah, he came up throwing like 104 or something. Yeah, and... he hasn't pitched in six years. He's still only 31 years old. Oh, damn. And has been out of professional baseball for six years. Yeah, I remember when he and Verlander were like one and the same. Like you couldn't remember which one was which because they came up at the same time. They're both throwing 100. And like everybody in baseball is like, oh, yeah, we need we need guys to throw out 100. That's a good idea. As if that were like wisdom. <laughs> um, He's still yeah, on just, a major league contract. It's, it's just crazy when things like that happen. Yeah, wow. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll lead off tonight by talking briefly about the Arizona Fall League. I wrote a little bit about it yesterday. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday night, the 18th. I wrote about it on Monday, the 17th. Uh, the Yankees Fall League team, uh, the players on their Fall League team, I should say at least, look pretty amazing so far. Um, Glaber Torres already has two home runs. He went two for two with a double home run and a pair of walks tonight. Greg Bird is hitting well. He said he's uh, taking his walks, and Miguel Andujar had a, another hit and another walk today. And the, everybody that's there just looks good. But the most important takeaway, and I, I mentioned this in my my post, is that James Caprielian is back, and he's back with the stuff that he had before his terrifying elbow injury earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, I was worried that he was kind of on the slow train to Tommy John, which is the worst train to Tommy John. Um, but, you know, I think this is the best case scenario at this point. The Yankees were probably a little conservative with him, held him back a little longer than they had to. Now he's throwing, he's healthy. You know, he, he gets to, excuse me, you know, just get his feet wet in the Arizona Fall League, hit spring training next year and kind of kind of restart this, try to get to get back to uh, get back to that point in Tampa where he was throwing 99 to start the season. It was actually interesting, too. Uh, Josh Norris, I think it was Josh Norris, wrote a piece about him for Baseball America after his first start. And I almost feel like this went under the radar, and maybe it's just me doing a bad job of following it, but Caprillion put on 20 pounds of muscle between when he was drafted last year, the year before, and spring training this year. Wow. And he attributes a lot of the velocity gain to that, and... There's apparently some scouts who agree, and I, I kind of feel like people were treating it like velocity out of nowhere. Yeah, me. I, actually, I kind of figured it was like some kind of random mechanical adjustment. Um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. He's a tall guy, so twenty pounds of muscle. It's not. It's not like it's. Uh, it's not like it's Marcus Stroman putting on twenty pounds. I mean, he's six four. So you know, if he comes out as muscular as you know some of your other six four pitchers, you know, ninety nine is more sustainable. Yeah, and I, I said I don't know if we overlooked that, but I mean, I actually started digging through some of our own posts and river Avenue blues and, um, pinstripe alley. And nobody really mentions the muscle gain, but that was the big thing that uh, Josh Norris wrote about. And Capriellen actually said in a few comments after the game. So, I mean, it gives me hope at least that the injury to his elbow could be somewhat unrelated to the velocity gain, it could just be a matter of him throwing more innings than ever because he was drafted and he made his professional debut and all the adjustments, or maybe even just a fluke thing because pitchers get hurt. But like you said, that could point to it being more sustainable because he has the build and the frame for it. I, I mean, if, if you know, over the next couple of weeks, people you know observe him and say, he looks good, he looks like a healthy pitcher, he's ready to go. I mean, that adds another really good prospect into the Yankee system who'll be discounted a little bit because of the health concerns. But he's, you know, every bit as talented as a Justice Sheffield or a, um, you know, even someone, not a, not a pitcher, but like a Jorge Mateo type. 
Um, so that that really boosts, I think, the, the Yankee uh, the Yankee future. And really, I mean, they they've been putting together the, together a pretty good roster of you know potential major league hitters. Not as many potential major league pitchers, and even fewer really zeroed in starters. So I mean, that's that's real good news if if all of a sudden you can kind of pencil in Capriellen as uh, as having a good shot at you know to be in your major league rotation. I actually think, and this is. It's it's kind of going to be a non-committal bold statement, but if Cabrillion is healthy and this is how he looks, you know, heading into the summer next year, I think you could be talking about the Yankees' best prospect. That's obviously going to be affected by other promotions and who they draft and what this offseason brings, but nobody's ever questioned his command and his control, which have stayed put even with his increased velocity. So if you have a guy who has the ability to throw a 98-mile-an-hour fastball with great secondary stuff and above-average control. I mean, you're talking about a top-of-the-rotation starter. And I don't think I put him – I don't know. I mean, he's – yes, he, he's he's got tons of talent and it's really good news and he's a very good prospect. But, you know, pass injury is a predictor of future injury. You know, he's just getting over this injury. He hasn't gone down and pitched 150 innings at any level. Um, and he also hasn't really seen that many minor league professional hitters. Well, I mean, that's so, why I want to see what the next few months bring and, you know, spring training and then double A where I'm assuming he's going to start. That's what I read in a uh, baseball America. Oh, really? Oh, that's it. good news. I mean, I figured he'd be go back to Tampa, but it's good news if they send him right to double A. I mean, that might be too ambitious. I, I think, I mean, I think high A would make the most sense, but. He was a very polished prospect coming in. Um, I mean, the, the read on him when they, when he was drafted, was he, he was kind of a, a medium ceiling, high, you know, highly reliable prospect. And then all of a sudden he started throwing 99. Um, yeah, he so was yeah, drafted, yeah, it's interesting. He was drafted as the guy who, you know, you could pencil into the fourth or fifth spot of your rotation for five years. But if you got much else from him, it'd be kind of surprising. And now it looks like, you know, he might still have that floor with some injury risks. But again, he could be. You know, maybe a solid number two starter. Mm. Oh, good news. Uh, you know, the other great news is Greg Bird. Hashtag Greg Bird is back. Um, you know, he's, he's, he seems to, be, to have healed from the shoulder injury. People are saying he looks like Greg Bird. You know, he's hit, he's hit uh, like four doubles, I think, in five games. So, so, you know, the power is still there. And, you know, it, our first baseman for next year is hitting into the AFL. It's good news. Yeah, really, it's, it's one of those things where the Yankee season is over and – we're kind of patiently waiting for the shitty free agent class that's coming where I'm not sure what the Yankees could really do. And, you know, it's good to see prospects and, you know, even Greg Bird, who's not really a prospect anymore, um, who matter doing big things. I mean, seeing Greg Bird, Glaber Torres, and James Caprielian killing it in Arizona brings a, you know, a salty tear to my eye. But, I mean, we really don't have anything else to talk about uh, in Yankee land because we're going to wait to pick up on our organizational depth previews because we've reached the point where we're talking about the outfield and the pitching staff, and that's just a lot to cover, and we want to give that the time it deserves, especially because, you know, with outfield prospects, we're talking about, at worst, two of the team's top four prospects with Clint Frazier and Aaron Judge, and, you know, even deeper, if you go to top five or six, you know, you have Blake Rutherford there, so there's a lot to talk about, and we also decided to table our discussion we were going to have about the uh, different versions of pitching war between baseball reference and fan graphs, because Scott would like to be involved, and he couldn't join us tonight, so we want to honor that. Um, So as we had said on... Uh, Monday morning, we're looking to get some questions for you guys, or we were looking to get some questions for you guys, and we got five pretty good ones. Granted, they only came from two people, so I'm a little disappointed, but I'm happy to have them. And I feel weird chastising people. Do you want to chastise anybody, EJ, or nah? Right as damn it. (laughs) So the first question I got was on Twitter from Alan Vanerson. And he asked, if you were the Yankees GM, would you draft bats and buy pitching or draft pitching and buy bats? 
And the answer to that is kind of a non-answer. Both? I mean, you could say both, or you could say it depends on what's out there. With yeah, this, I mean, with this free agent class, if you're buying anybody, it's bats. Well, or relief pitching, or relief pitching. But the the draft class, I mean, we won't we won't know until we're so much closer to it. I don't think you can, if you don't have the number one overall pick, and there's a clear cut Bryce Harper or Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg in the draft class, then it's kind of a crapshoot because those rankings change almost daily up until the actual day of the draft. I mean, the problem is a lot of this is priced in, you know, so, you know, there, there's, there's pitching is less reliable than, than hitting. We know this. Um, we know that we know, especially in the draft, it's much harder to find pitching. That's not going to get injured before you, you before they make the major leagues than it is to, to buy hitting. And so people tend to, in the, in the first round shade toward bats, especially toward college bats. Um, and that's great, but, Every other team is making that same calculus, and so you know the the price is going to factor you know fa- factor in that risk. Um, you know I think major league teams are smarter than they used to be, and so you know rarely I think will you will you find someone slip a little bit far farther than than that calculus. Um, you know the Yankees right now are definitely seem to be going for a bat first strategy, but they also seem to be going for like a volume of pitching strategy. Which to me seems smart, um, but you know I look right now at the Cleveland. Uh, here's one thing I'll say. So one way thing way to think about this is, so half of the game is offense, half the game is defense, right? I've said this in the podcast before. Offense hitting and base running is fifty percent of the game. Pitching and defense is fifty percent of the game. Position players both hit. They they hit and run, and they play defense. They pitchers basically only play only. The only um, play defense, right? That that's the only part of the game they're, they're they're responsible for. So if you're asking me if I have a team that has like bad pitching and really good hitting, or bad hitting and really good pitching, I'm gonna go with the hitters because that means that you have a better team, right? You you will make up a larger portion of your wins that way. And if you look at the Cleveland Indians that we were talking about before, I mean, this is a team with Trevor Bauer pitching two innings and then winning the game because they have a really strong bullpen and they have hitters. Um, you know, it's a team that has Josh Tomlin as their number three starter in the playoffs, and they're doing fine. You know, the Red Sox this year did not have good starting pitching, but they were still able to win. The Toronto Blue Jays this year did not have good starting pitching. They were able to win. Um, the Yankees had really good starting pitching relative to the league, and they were not able to win. So, you know, all else being equal, hitters are more valuable than pitchers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always been one of the arguments against pitchers winning MVP and things like that. It's just they control a smaller percentage of the game by virtue of what they do. And that that's not a knock on pitchers. That's just a statistical fact. So it, it's tough to argue that that's where you should invest, you know, not only, and you know, that's ignoring the fact that pitcher hitters are generally much more predictable than pitchers. Again, though, when you're talking about the draft, it, it depends who's there. So many pundits and scouts and writers were talking about Blake Rutherford as a potential top 10 pick. I think, I think in some, on some rankings, he was as high as the fifth best prospect in the yeah, draft. Yeah, yeah. And the Yankees got him, what were they, 18th or 19th? Uh, something like that, but yeah. And it was a little lower, lower than that, I think. But. When you're drafting, you don't draft for need. You You take who the best player available is. I mean, for all we know, the Yankees were looking to take some stud pitcher, somebody who went in the next few picks, but then Blake Rutherford fell into their laps. They said, this is a guy we had at the top of our draft board with a sad face next to his name because we never thought he'd make it this far. And then they, they popped him and you then, you have to take that talent when it's there and you can't necessarily plan for that. Yeah, I think, um, I think Rutherford was a bit of a special case. I think Capri Allen was a little more of an optional pick. Yes. Um, that, that year before, there, there were some other players of kind of capable, posi- you know, similar position players available out there. Um, and their scout, they probably, Capri Allen was probably number one on their, on their board. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I think the la- later rounds is kind of where you start thinking about this. When you actually, you're actually choosing among many very similar options. Yeah, you're going um, for a theme almost. And, you know, the Yankees have shown that they're actually kind of good at turning, um, 
decent but not great college uh, pitchers into major league pitchers, the David Phelpses of the world. Um, and I think that's you know th- that's something that the Yankees are good at. So that 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 is a, a spot where I think I prefer them to focus on on pitching. And I I don't think other than Brett Gardner, I they haven't really had a lot of success with mid you know mid to upper round hitting over the years. Um, I mean Gary Sanchez is their only only their second major league hitter to break with the big league club in in however many years. So you know I, it's. Um, especially now that you can't really you can't really play the bonus game like they used to. So Mason Williams, they got in the last the last Wild West season where you, where you were able to you're able to pay you know fourth round pick. I think he was a million dollars. That's not as easy anymore. Uh, I mean, if you had to come, I just realized I've said I mean probably about thirty five times during this podcast. I mean, so all of our ticks. It's a it's a crutch. I'm going to try to avoid it, and I probably won't now that I've drawn more attention to it, but. So it goes. Um, I mean, do you think that there's a easy answer to this question when you're talking about the draft, though? I think that statistics show that the college hitting and college pitching are much more reliable than, than high school hitting and high school pitching, and hitters are more reliable than pitchers. And... It's easy for uh, even a very smart team to get get a little emotional and kind of reach for that like dream player when the smart decision might be to pick the safe guy. So yeah, if it's early in the first round and there's no Bryce Harper out there, you know I'm thinking I'm I'm probably drafting a college hitter even if there's like a, like a tempting devil on my shoulder saying to go for the high school kid. But, you know, at 17 or 18, which is kind of where the Yankees keep drafting because the, the bottom never really falls out for the Yankees, you know, I think a high school uh, – a really risky high school player like Blake, Blake Rutherford uh, that has a ton of upside is probably your best bet. OK. That's fair enough. Moving on, uh, our next four questions are from Mean Mr. Mustard. Uh, he posted all of them in the comment section on the blog and he's kind of – like the celebrity commenter <laughs> on the website. So thank you for sending these questions in. Number one uh, commenter. Kind Mr. Mustard. And uh, I hope this brings you great fame and internet fortune. His first question is something we've talked about a little bit, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. Would you guys prefer we bring back Champ- Chapman or Melanson? I don't mean from a production standpoint, but all things considered. EJ, you want to take the lead on this? All right, so just all, all things considered probably includes the domestic violence allegations against Raldus Chapman. And I'm not happy about that, and so I'm not going to consider that in my calculus because I don't really know how to, how to answer that. Um, but here's what I think about Chapman versus Melanson. Chapman's velocity has actually been improving over the years, and he's still out there you know, throwing the ball as hard as he ever has. Mark Melanson has been um, in a, I think, five straight year velocity decline. And that scares me, right? He's 30. Um, you know, he's now throwing a 91.8 mile, mile per hour fastball. And, excuse me, that that's not a good sign. I think Melanson, whoever signs Melanson to a deal will probably regret the contract fairly quickly. Whereas I think Araldus Chapman is still the best or second best reliever in the game. For me, Melanson scares me because he is a he's he has good strikeout rates. I think a lot of that is because of the fact that he pitches in the National League, or he's pitched exclusively in the National League for the past several years, and he does really good things with batted ball suppression, with like hit suppression. And a lot of that is largely due to pitching in front of fantastic defenses in Pittsburgh. So I think basically what you said, he's much more likely to have the bottom fall out from under him because while he gets the strikeouts, he doesn't get them as prominently and he's dependent on hitters making contact and fielders making the play. And that's not a great recipe for a closer. I like my closers to you know, making hitters swing out of their boots like Andrew Miller's been doing in the playoffs. Uh, And 
With Aroldis Chapman, I just... It's such a touchy subject, and justifiably so. But he's so good, and he did his time, and he seems to be saying and doing the right thing, and I don't think that he should be blacklisted from Major League Baseball. My biggest hang-up might honestly be their salaries. If Chapman's going to end up being the highest paid reliever ever and get $20 million a year, and you could get Melanson for 10 or $12 million a year, I'd prefer Melanson. But if we're talking relatively close, one's getting $14 million and one's getting $17, I'd, I'd prefer Chapman. I want Kenley Jansen of the three. I wouldn't give um, up a draft pick for a reliever. I wouldn't give up a draft pick at the same price for a reliever. But I think once you price that in, I think Kenley Jansen is very good. And especially considering how tradable relievers are, I think that Jansen, you know, if there's a scenario where the Yankees don't need Jansen or there's a scenario where the Yankees aren't good enough to take advantage of him and then you trade him and you get a similar similar return. The draft pick is nice. It's a relatively high draft pick, so it kind of stings to lose. But um, – I think I think Chapman is going to be I think you're right he's going to be very expensive and there's going to be a lot more competition for him and I'd rather have Jansen on a better contract than than Chapman. I Melanson I think will will definitely be cheaper and there's definitely a price where I would love to buy Melanson but it's too I suspect that he he will decline fastest of them. Um I you know Kenley Jansen is and, and Chapman are both 28 right now. They're both coming off, you know, some of their best work ever, maybe both of them their best work ever. Um, and Melanson is, you know, just, you know, he's still really good, but, you know, there, there's signs that he's kind of, he's declining. I also like the, I think of the three, I bet most on Jansen aging well. Um, one, because he's just a physically huge dude. I mean, he's a big, big guy. Um, but more importantly, he is... The newest to pitching. Well, yeah, that's also true. I do. I, I love that that fun fact that he caught Clayton Kershaw's last save. Um, but, but more, it's more that I think um, Jansen Jansen has the he he throws basically a cutter, right? He throws a really hard cutter. And when as Mariano Rivera aged, the nice thing about the cutter is that although Mariano Rivera lost velocity because it's a moving a, a pitch that relies on movement, the slower that you throw it, the more uh, horizontal movement you get out of it. And so as Mariano got slower, he got hard he, he got harder to hit because he had more movement on his fast on, on, on his cut fastball. I think Kenley Jansen is the exact same player or has the exact same thing going on where, you know, maybe he's not throwing ninety eight or whatever he's throwing. I forget what he's throwing, but um, you know, three or four years from now, if you sign him to say a five-year contract, but he throw he slows down to ninety-two, ninety-three, but has more movement. He's about at ninety-three now. He is. I mean, so similar to, to Mariano, right? And um, I and whereas Chapman, I don't know what Araldus Chapman looks like when he throws ninety-six. Um, I don't know if that if Araldus Chapman at ninety-six can be an effective major league player. Maybe he can be ninety-six from a left. He's still pretty darn good, and he still has. Um, he still has other pitches, but, um, I think I'm a little more comfortable with Kenley Jansen. The next question is one that's been popping up, uh, on a lot of Yankees blogs now, and, uh, some of the beat writers have taken it up and that's, uh, what would we have to give up for a shot at McCutcheon? It's Andrew McCutcheon. Surely judge would be a part of the equation, but who else? McCutcheon, for those of you who may not have followed the Pirates so closely, had, I mean, the worst year of his career, uh, by no small measure, he hit 256, 336, 430. That was a 106 WRC+. Plus. Uh, he attempted the fewest stolen bases of his career at the worst success rate. He was successful in, like, 45% of his attempts, which is just bad. Uh, he had some nagging injuries, but nothing severe, and... The defensive metrics and a lot of the Pittsburgh beat writers that were seeing all the games said that he was noticeably slower in the outfield and there was talk of him moving to left or right to allow Starling Marte to play center field. So this is kind of a buy low situation that 
would turn into not buying low because I think a lot of teams would be yeah. interested in McCutcheon because he's still only uh, he's still only thirty. He just turned thirty last week, um, and he's owed basically nothing for a player that was as good as he was prior to this year. Fourteen million next year, and a fourteen and a half million team option for twenty eighteen. I don't want anything to do with him. I mean, I mean, yeah, if you could get him for just like an Aaron Judge, let's do it. But um, I think he would have, he, he would command a pretty decent value because um, I think every team will think they can fix him. And he's 30, right? He was a really talented player, but he was also a player that relied on athleticism because he, he was one of the most athletic players in the league. And we should expect players like that to decline when they, when they age. And there was no injury to explain this. He had it. He's been having a corresponding decline in the field for a couple of seasons right now. So you can. It seems obvious that he's slowing down. He's not stealing bases anymore. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he is, can get better. You know, this season he he only had a .7 WAR, but you know he was he hit two fifty six, three thirty six, four thirty, which isn't terrible, right? It's a one hundred six WRC plus. But the defense is a big deal right there. I mean, you're either you if even if you move him to right or left, you're losing defensive value out of just because the replacement level value is different. So you don't gain that much back by doing so. Um, and the Yankees aren't in a contention cycle where he can put them over the top unless he rebounds to be like himself three years ago. So I pass. I I assume the cost would be very high because, like EJ said, everybody's going to think they can fix him. And when you look at a lot of the supporting numbers. Nothing was was way off. I mean, his walk rate and his strikeout rate went in the wrong direction, but they also kind of corresponded with league-wide trends. So I don't know if that's enough that for a team to look at that and say, no, no, he's clearly slipping in any respect. And, I mean, you're talking about somebody who, for the four years heading into this year, was probably in the argument for best non-Mike Trout player in baseball. And I don't think you can buy low on that player. Maybe at the end of next season, if he had another year like that, you could buy low. But at that point, are you really buying low or are you making a deal on a wig and a prayer? Yeah, I mean, players get that, right? Every player, father time is undefeated and every player at some point uh, goes in the downhill. Some of them, you know, recover and there's a bump or there's this, at least like a dead, a dead, count, a dead cat bounce or something along those lines. But you know we shouldn't ex- we shouldn't expect that our, our Andrew McCutcheon because he was so great in his mid twenties will continue to be one of the best players in baseball. Uh, to answer the question a little bit more directly, what would the cost be? I-, I think you would have to make the trade for him like he was still a superstar. I, I think, think it would Clint be, Frazier comes into play. I think um, it would be at least I think it would be a one of Judge or Frazier. I think. Pittsburgh might be able to ask for both and get something similar from another team. Uh, I I don't really have a good trade proposal for this, but it's it's more than you'd think for a player that just had a 31 year an almost 31 year old that just had. I mean, Pittsburgh is in is in win now mode still, right? They still have a team together that, that they think can win. So you know they're not going to want to trade for you know um, for. Blake Rutherford, right? They're 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 going to want somebody who's at AAA who could potentially you know compete next year. I mean, it um, might be something like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez or Greg Bird or Didi Gregorius. It might be somebody that they say they can plug into their lineup and fill in need. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think it's 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 honestly worth talking about, and I don't think that they'll really shop him seriously. So question three from Mean Mister Mustard. The Yankees love guys that are inconsistent but have really good stuff and show flashes of brilliance. So is it almost so is it almost a given will be in play for Andrew Kashner, which is a name we always hear flying around. Um, I think Andrew Kashner allows forty-five home runs in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> well, that's a, but do you think they'd be? I I think they would very obviously be pursuing him. I, I mean, the reason why they pursued the the Evaldis of the world and have had guys like Pineda they, they've been trying to work through is because they haven't had much better, many better options. And I don't think they currently have many better options. There, again, there aren't that many free agents, free agents starting pitchers out there. And they are going to have to fill the back end of that rotation with somebody. I love Brian Mitchell. I don't. But Brian Mitchell is, is, is a body. Um, but you also can't really rely on Brian Mitchell to be healthy. 
So yeah, I I don't I I I don't think he's really any different than going up and picking up like Ricky Nolasco or um you know, going or any any twins pitcher, right? I wouldn't uh, Phil Hughes, bringing back Phil Hughes. Right? These are all guys who aren't good but could be good, I guess, maybe. The Yankees haven't actually showed a lot of success in turning these guys into effective players. Um, I think someone, someone's probably going to try to start Andrew Kashner, but I'd put him in the bullpen and see what happens. The guy Kashner, throws 99. He also lost a full mile per hour off of his fastball this year. Yeah, he was at I, yeah 90, he's getting older. I mean, he's also been hurt a lot. I mean, your best hope for Andrew Kashner is the Padres suck at everything theory. <laughs> um, they're one of those clubs that like you can you can you can try that, but you know he was traded in Miami, who you know aren't themselves great at baseball. Um, but and he was um, even worse, right? So you know there's you know there's a lot of fixing to, to do now. You know there was some hope for for Cashner kind of his mid twenties, but he's also twenty nine, right? I mean that, that there's he's on the back end of the aging curve, and everybody ages differently. I think the Yankees mm-hmm. will look at him as filler with upside, but I, I I don't expect them to do much more than that. I if I'm Cashner, I go to an NL team anyway, right? You want to you want to salvage your career, you go somewhere where you can salvage your career. You don't you don't go to Yankee Stadium, the bandbox. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, he he allowed one point three home runs per nine pitching in two pitchers parks in the National League last year. And his ground ball percentages have been going down every year along with his velocity. He's He's trending in a very bad directions, but he is somebody I could see the Yankees taking a flyer on because I don't know how expensive he'd be and I don't know what the interest will be in him. And I do think he is kind of that Yankee guy because we've discussed a little bit before that the Yankees love stuff and hope that a lot of things will fall into place behind it. And But it hasn't worked. That's what kills me. Like, the, like, who are the best pitchers in the Yankees this year? Masahiro Tanaka and CeCe Sabathia, the slowest throwers on the pitching staff, <laughs> right? I mean, Ivan Nova was not good with the Yankees. He was good with, with another team. You know, Nathan Eovaldi has been terrible for two seasons. Michael Pineda maybe has been getting be- unlucky, but there's probably also quite a lot of suck in there. So, you know, I, um, it's a good notion, but I think at some point, you know, you, you have, have to, to go after, yeah, you have to go after a different kind of pitcher. Well, that leads into his last question, uh, which is clearly the starting pitching market is horrible. So who do we have a realistic shot to trade for, i.e. guys we don't have to fleece the system to get? The name that immediately came to mind for me, and it's not a good name, it doesn't make me excited, but I think it's a very realistic possibility that he'll be shopped and that he might be a salary dump, and that's Ian Kennedy. Uh, he had a reasonably okay season for the Royals last year and I think he was good enough that the Royals can get something for him but not good enough that they could expect a lot especially because they have indicated that they're trying to get out of some salary I wouldn't really want anything to do with Ian Kennedy, who somehow allowed 33 home runs last year, pitching in the most pitcher-friendly park in the American League after allowing 31 home runs the year before in the most pitcher-friendly park in the National League. But he's the guy who, unfortunately, I could see the Yankees targeting as somebody who's thrown at least... He's thrown 190-plus innings five times in the last six years, and the one year he didn't was last year when he still threw 168 and made 30 starts. I'd take him as a pure salary dump, but that's about it. Uh, uh, he's the kind of target that we're talking about here. Yeah. Somebody who could, who has some value other than being a warm body, because Kennedy could be counted on to make starts. They probably wouldn't be good starts, but I think that's what the Yankees are looking for, is I think they'd be looking for somebody who they could pencil into the rotation. Outside of him... I started digging through players that are arbitration eligible uh, on teams that are in a rebuild mode or are looking to improve elsewhere. And that's when you start getting into names like Matt Shoemaker on the Angels or... (laughs) I mean, does that excite anybody? Nope. 
and then you go further down the list and maybe you have the Diamondbacks give up on Patrick Corbin or Shelby Miller, but I think Patrick Corbin will end up being costly because he was good until he came back from his injury a little bit too early this year. And Shelby Miller was good before he got Diamondbacked. So I, think, I could see him being a buy low guy, but I think Tyson Miller, uh, Tyson Ross, could get DFA'd. He's kind of expensive. He's projected at ten million dollars next year. Didn't really pitch at all this year. Uh, he's a free agent after only one more season. So I would, if he gets DFA just for salary reasons, I'd be all over that because um, I think Tyson Ross is pretty good. Um, and you know, it was health last year. He wasn't that. He was bad. He just couldn't pitch. I think Chris Tillman could be in the same situation. Which is to Chris Tillman also projected at almost eleven million dollars for next year, and you know a, the kind of innings eater that I think the Yankees really could use. Um, but let's be honest, the Yankees aren't going to be good next year, right? There's no reason to trade the future for the present. There's not enough present right now to win the division. You know, if the Yankees, if come, you know, if the Yankees, you know, out at the gate, Greg Bird starts, you know, p- you know hitting like you know he's a he's a real legit you know, top 10 first baseman and Gary Sanchez is hitting like the best catcher in the league. And you get, you know, solid seasons out of the Headleys and Gardeners and, 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 and Ellsbury's. And there, there seems to be some hope out there. Then I think you can go out at the trade deadline and start making some of these trades. But I don't think this off season is the right time to do it because, you know, chances are all of those things, all those stars aren't going to align. There's going to be someone who gets hurt or somebody who's not very good or something happens that throws away 2017. It's not a great roster for next season. It requires players to do things they haven't done before in order to in order to to do it. And you know, I mean, that's part of having a young team. And I think that the current Yankee farm system will eventually break through to be really good. But I don't think they're there yet. I guess the real question is, what are they going to do to fill out their rotation? It's, I think. Like you insinuated with the the Padres potentially just, you know, just non-tendering Tyson Ross because he had a shoulder injury that he was dealing with all season. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like they're going to be looking for the Bartolo Colones and Freddie Garcias like they had a few years ago. Yeah, hoping that that they could get, hoping that they could get Chance Adams up there and uh, Jordan Montgomery. I think and in the second half of the season, those guys those guys are available. And Jordan Montgomery, I've predicted cracks this rotation out of spring training. That um, wouldn't shock me. Yeah. That's I, that's what I'm getting at, though. I think they're more likely to to bandage the rotation and hope that players from within will show something that'll help them force the issue. Basically, I mean, here's the thing. So Eovaldi is getting BFA. He's not on the roster next season. So you got Sabathia, Tanaka, Pineda, one, two, three. That's that's locked in stone. Severino is an interesting question. I don't think you pencil. I think you pencil him in. You don't write in pen. Um, and then that last spot, you no, know, you have Brian Mitchell, who has not been healthy lately, but when he's pitched, he's pitched pretty decently. So I think there's there's you know there's some potential there. You've got again the Jordan Montgomerys of the world. You got Dietrich ends up at AAA, who's been really good. Well, I think I think that fourth spot. Sorry to interrupt. I think that fourth spot is a lock to be some combination or the hot hand from spring training of Severino, Mitchell, Sessa, and Chad Green. Yeah, I think it's really that fifth spot where you got to imagine the Yankees want to keep some of that depth depth in AAA, and some of that depth will probably stick in the bullpen. But I think the I think the front four spots in the rotation are covered by Tanaka. Sabathia, Pineda, and then Green slash Sessa slash Severino slash Mitchell. And you could even throw Adam Warren into that equation. Yeah. Uh, well, I think – so I think that there's raw material out there that you don't need to trade for somebody just to fill a spot. And maybe you want to sign a depth guy or two or a non-roster invitee or two to kind of compete in spring training. Um, you know, Maybe you want to take advantage of your options and keep Sessa at Triple A at the beginning of the season or whatever, right? Like those – I think those are all like solid options. I still want to trade on Masahiro Tanaka. 
right? I still think that I still think that the smart move is to punt on him next season before you hit spring training and he has the opportunity to be injured and you don't get locked into that contract after his opt out if he turns out to be bad. There is no scenario next season, and we can when we talk about pitching, we can kind of talk about this where there there are a few scenarios where like the that contract turns out well for the Yankees. It requires them to make the postseason next season, which I think is a fairly low probability. So you know, I, it, the I just I'm not comfortable thinking about trading unless unless someone becomes available who we're not thinking of, who's young, who's capable. You know, maybe a Sonny Gray type is kind of the first name that came to mind when I read when I heard this. Somebody who's going going to be around for a little bit. So even if you have to trade somebody who's pretty good, you can still you know bet on that player being you know being good for a while. Um, if the Yankees end up making a move for somebody like that, I'm not his biggest fan, but. I think, I suspect that it would be Shelby Miller because mm-hmm. I think Shelby Miller gets moved this offseason. I think the Diamondbacks might even panic trade him just to recoup something of value, even though that's the opposite of what they should do. <laughs> um, I mean, they have a new GM, which is nice. So they might not, they might not feel like they're trying to make up for their past mistakes. The front office people that are still there, and I mean, they have a, Tony Larusa is still around in an advisory capacity. You know, he's like very- in a corner, muttering, staring well, at people. You know, like, like yeah. So there have been more than a few people who are still around who said negative things about Shelby Miller that were just not necessary to a team that, I mean, to be blunt, fucked up everything this season and the season before. Um, he just seems like the guy to me that the Yankees might target. As somebody who's better than he showed last year, has these tools, has had the success to some degree, and is a potential building block if he writes himself. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying I want it to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was a player we hear them connected to in the coming months. Yeah, I think it'd be great to see uh, Shelby Miller, um, who's under contract, who's under team control for two more seasons, I think it's, it's if they if they manage to to um, trade for him, I wouldn't mind seeing them try to extend him as a buy low um, before you know he gets a chance to reestablish that value because he's only twenty five, right? He's going to be a free agent after his age twenty seven season, and if you can buy out that twenty eight twenty nine seasons, you know then all of a sudden it looks like I think kind of a good investment. In worst case scenario, the Yankees can eat the money. Um, but you know I think Sonny Gray, as I kind of mentioned before, I think he's. I I think I don't think he comes cheaply, but you know Oakland has been willing to trade their guys, um, you know, for not that much, right? I mean, it's they've made some they made some bad trades. He's also only twenty six. Um, he was really good the couple seasons before. I mean, you know, the one worry about him is that is he was really good despite a low strikeout rate, and it's a little fishy sometimes. Um, but you know, if the price is right, I wouldn't mind wouldn't mind a little bit. Of, Excuse me, a little bit of Shelby Miller, and he's you know he's been team control forever. And I think that's what they should be looking into if they're going to make a move, somebody who they could get a little more cheaply than they would have been able to a year ago, and they could have not just for 2017 but for 2018 and 2019, for when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper come over. Yeah, uh, yeah, or just them and Clayton Kershaw. Um. Well, Clayton Kershaw will be their closer by then because the rotation is going to be so stacked. It'll be the, go the John Smoltz route. route. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and I, I think I, – I mean that, it really just depends you – know, a lot of these questions depend on your your assumptions about the Yankees' window. And if you think the Yankees – if you think that the Red Sox are weak next year – because I think the Orioles and, and Blue Jays are weak. Um, so if you think that the Red Sox are weak – Maybe you kind of lunge for it. I don't think the Red Sox are weak. I think they're much better than they were this season next year. Um, though I do think that you kind of see you see the division getting ready to go into a down cycle other than the Red Sox, which is good for the Yankees. The Yankees want this to be the NL East where you know a mediocre to bad Mets team can win 88 games and get a wild card um, you know, despite having like no players. And I could see that happening, like you said, especially because the Blue Jays are getting older and Bautista and Encarnacion are free agents after this year. The Red Sox don't really have the pitching. The Rays don't seem to know what they're doing anymore. And the Orioles seem to be that 
pixie dust team that <laughs> alternates between overachieving and underachieving. And they also still need pitching. There's only so much pitching to go around, which is one of the reasons why, like I said, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on somebody we think might bounce back just because we talk about these teams that underachieved or went home early and it all just comes back to pitching. There's not enough pitching to go around. So if you could get somebody that you have, you know, a decent amount of faith in that they can bounce back to give you some kind of value, I think that's a chance you got to take. But other than that, uh, we're out of questions. And I think unless you have anything else to say, EJ, I think that's 50 minutes on this stuff. Give us some more questions. This is easy. Yeah. I mean, I know we wanted to stay under an hour, but this is just 10 minutes of of dead air now. I guess we can go on a political rant or something. Yeah, you don't want me to do that. No, I don't. I Well, I do, but I don't. It's Let's just put it this way. It's really tough to teach political science. And when I say teach, I mean I'm a teaching assistant for a real professor uh, during this insane, stupid election. It's fun, though. Sure. It's a fun time in a very depressing way. I just want to talk about public policy and we can talk about like bills moving through Congress. So tired of this election. Here's here's my political my political statement for the podcast, and then we'll wrap it up. I think the best thing you could do with this election right now is go onto YouTube or go into Hulu and watch Alec Baldwin playing Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. It's excellent. He's it's, he's good. It's a blessing. We are truly blessed to be living in this time where Alec Baldwin is on Saturday Night Live every week playing Donald Trump. It's amazing. Kurt Schilling for Senate. <laughs> so on that note. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully, with more prospects and more talk about advanced metrics, and hopefully there will be a triumvirate next week. So, EJ, have a good night, and have a good night, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry, From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.